where he has come in and said, uh, I'm looking to put uh, a person in a place to rule over it in, according to my ways, uh, kind of this kingdom mindset that, that we talk about all the time of representing the Lord and being ambassadors for him in the places that we interact. So God's plan all along is to have uh, a people uh, of his own uh, inhabiting a place and, and ruling over it, having dominion over it, uh, but all under submission to him right, representing him. And so uh, since creation, this has been the plan, and it's been a very long time unfolding this plan, right? Um, but sin has complicated that, and uh, we've seen just the, the fallenness of man kind of interrupt, uh, disrupt, and break the different covenants we've had uh, with the Lord. Um, last week, Rob walked us through the Davidic covenant, where God promised a ruler from the line of David who would sit on the throne forever. Uh, that there would be a king one day who would never leave the throne, and it would be from the line of David. Uh, this king would need to be obedient. This king would need to be someone who honored the Lord uh, always. Uh, David couldn't do that, right? <clears throat> and so there hasn't been a, a man uh, other than the God-man who has been worthy to sit on the throne forever. Uh, and so Jesus um, fulfills that and ended up being the person who will sit on the throne for all time, for all eternity, and, and from the line of David, right, fulfilling that promise. And so um, we each week kind of gave a little spoiler leading up to this week uh, that Jesus was really the true fulfillment of all these covenants that God was, was, uh, was making, all these promises that God was looking for a person to rule over a place, and uh, the men of earth could never do it. Uh, Jesus ends up being the fulfillment of all of that. And so we're going to unpack some of that today. Um, as we look at the new covenant in Christ. Uh, we've referenced this new covenant over the past four weeks. Um, and so we'll uh, look at it again today uh, and how it either lines up and fulfills the promises of the different covenants in the past, uh, where it might stray from the covenants of the past because it is indeed a, a new covenant, even though it fulfills many of the promises of the old covenants. Um, the New Covenant, sometimes called the Covenant of Peace in the Old Testament or the Everlasting Covenant, uh, it's not always referred to as New Covenant in the Old Testament, uh, but it's promised because the people on the other side of the covenants of the Lord keep walking in disobedience, uh, keep breaking our end of the bargain or falling short of what God is intending to move forward in his relationship with mankind. Uh, so let's see what God has to say in Jeremiah 31 as he promised this new covenant that would be coming. Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 34. <clears throat> Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one say, teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. So, uh, I said, I think, at the beginning of this series, and somebody earlier said, no one remembers what you said at the beginning of the series, uh, which is probably true, um, but I said that this wasn't a series about covenant theology, 
It's about the different covenants that God made with his people in the Old Testament. And that was pretty much true for the first four weeks. Uh, but as we look at the new covenant, we kind of dip into um, what I believe is uh, the new covenant interpretation, um, which is going to lend towards more covenant theology. Um, if you know what that means, then you know where we're going. If you don't know what that means, then don't worry about it. Just uh, listen up and it'll be fine. Um, <clears throat> but there's some things, uh, especially based on that passage from Jeremiah 31, uh, where it says that God is making a covenant with Israel and the house of Judah, uh, and then we're going we're gonna to fast forward and go all the way to Jesus in the New Testament and say that this new covenant is for anyone who trusts in him by faith. Uh, and so we're going to say, well, wait a second, if the promises are for Israel and Judah, how do Gentiles receive these promises? And so uh, I'll explain that in a few minutes, um, but that's where some of that covenant-type theology is going to come in, to say we're, uh, we're kind of redefining the promise to Israel um, as the promise to the church, which is believers, um, Jew and Gentile alike. So this new covenant promise, as we just read in Jeremiah 31, is a promise to forgive sin and to remember it no more. It's the promise of redemption. If you remember, some of the covenants we looked at were not covenants of redemption. Some of them were just promises to, to sustain mankind or creation or um, to, to set apart a nation. We saw some promises given to Abraham, right, um, that weren't about necessarily redemption. But this new one is about redemption, about reconciling man to God. It talks about forgiving sin and iniquity uh, forever, that God would forget our sin. He would remember it no more. Uh, so this is a great, great promise that we want to know about and we want to cling to as those who want to be forgiven uh, of our sins. We know with the full counsel of Scripture that Jesus is the fulfillment of this new covenant. Uh, he said so himself at the Last Supper, which we talk about every week that we do communion. We say that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he was sitting down to have Passover with his disciples. He put a new meaning on the meal when he pointed the uh, blood, uh, I'm sorry, the, the wine, and, and pointed ahead to his crucifixion, his death, and likened it to his blood that would be shed. Uh, and he blessed the bread and likened it to his body that would be broken for us. Um, in Luke 22:20, 20, when he referred to the cup, he says, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant. Uh, so he's pointing to the cup as this symbol of both uh, his blood, um, the, the wine representing his blood that would be shed, but also this symbol of, of a cup being poured out uh, refers to this, um, this symbology kind of throughout Scripture and in the Old Testament particularly where uh, a cup of wrath is poured out upon someone. And so as we see the wrath of God poured out on Christ in the new covenant um, that Jesus is promising to say, I'm, I'm going to be taking the wrath of God for you. I'm um, going to be taking the wrath of God upon himself so that the wrath of God would be satisfied. And so in Christ, in his death, his burial, and resurrection, he's, he's sealing this new covenant, right? This new promise to us. Um, and this sealing is really important, right? Um, the fact that it's forever. And so we'll talk about that again towards the end of the, the message. Before we discuss how we enter into this new covenant with Christ, though, let's look back at uh, how this new covenant fulfills uh, or maybe diverges from uh, the previous covenants that we've talked about. 
We didn't dedicate a week to the covenant with Adam, but we referenced it when God um, created the world and put Adam and Eve in the garden, told them to be fruitful and to multiply, and gave them the mandate to, to rule over the world, to have dominion over creation. <clears throat> Again, this kind of submission to the Lord, but stewards of creation, right? Um, so it's, you, you have rule and reign, but within the parameters of what's pleasing unto the Lord, okay? And so if you step outside of obedience here uh, with your relationship with the Lord, then you kind of lose the authority over creation that you were entrusted with. And so that sets this whole promise, this whole mandate, this whole covenant kind of out of whack. And so Adam and Eve were unfaithful, right? They sinned, um, and so they weren't able to uphold the commandment, the mandate that God had given them. Jesus, of course, was obedient uh, where Adam failed, and so he's often referred to as the second Adam or the truer Adam. Um, Adam was, again, set in creation as kind of a, uh, kind of a priest king. We'll use that phrase here a few times this morning, uh, to rule in the garden. And Jesus succeeds as priest king where Adam failed as priest king. Uh, but Jesus will rule over the new creation, um, the the world we live in now, right, will be made new. And so Jesus will rule over that place. Again, uh, dominion over the world um, according to God's ways. <clears throat> then we came to the covenant with Noah. That was the first week of our series. Uh, if you remember, this was one that was not a redemptive covenant. This was just a promise to say, I will not destroy mankind or creation again. Uh, I will sustain, I will preserve mankind and creation until my redemptive purposes are fulfilled. Uh, and so we have this hope when we see the sign of the covenant, we see a rainbow in the sky to say, uh, that's a reminder that God is faithful. God keeps his promises. He has a plan for mankind. He has a plan for creation. He has a plan for humanity. And until his plan is fulfilled, uh, he's not going to do away with his creation, right? And so there won't be a cataclysmic world ender, you know, there's not going to be a, an asteroid so big that it destroys all of the earth and all that kind of stuff. Uh, God has promised to preserve us and sustain us until his purposes are fulfilled. Uh, there was another mandate given to Noah. Again, he was told to be fruitful and multiply and rule over the earth, kind of set again in this, uh, if you remember, kind of a reset after the flood uh, as it wasn't recreated, but things started to grow again. The waters subsided and things kind of got back to normal in the rhythms of, of nature and Noah was told to tend to it, to rule over it. Um, and then not long after that, he sinned and failed. Um, and so he didn't keep up his end of the bargain either. Uh, or not bargain, but he didn't keep up his end of, the, of what was going on and fulfilling the mandate upon him. Uh, but Jesus will not fail, right? He will have dominion over the new earth. The next week was the covenant with Abraham. And Abraham has promised three things, offspring, land, and universal blessing through him or through his line. Uh, and in Jesus and the good news of his kingdom, we see that Jesus is the obedient offspring of Abraham down the line, the lineage of Abraham. And all who trust in him, Jesus, are offspring of Abraham, uh, fulfilling the promise that his offspring would be as numerous as the stars. This was the promise made to Abraham. And so we see that uh, we're, we read in the New Testament that we're children of Abraham by promise, not by blood. So even if you are not uh, Jewish or part of the nation of Israel, that by faith in Christ, you are counted as a child of Abraham, a true child of Abraham, Scripture would call you. And so that would be a fulfillment of this numerous offspring. We'll see uh, that 
Um, number two, we talk about the land, right? Abraham was promised Canaan, but in Christ, the land of inheritance becomes the new creation. Uh, this is where some of that covenant theology is going to come into play, to say that land was promised to the people of Israel, to the people of God. Um, and looking back through the promises of the New Testament and the New Covenant, uh, I would stand here and say, I believe that to mean that the, new, the land that we inherit as the children, true children of Abraham is the new creation that we will uh, live in for all eternity. And then three, he was promised universal blessing um, through his line. This, of course, is the amazing promise of salvation by grace through faith in Christ. Um, Jesus, again, being of the line of Abraham, and so fulfilling that its blessing is coming through Abraham, uh, our faith in Jesus uh, is what results in our salvation, right? Our, our uh, reconciliation and our redemption to a holy God. So the difference, though, between the Abrahamic and the new covenants is that the sign of circumcision, which was the sign of the covenant with Abraham, which was an outward physical sign of obedience, is no longer a requirement or sign of the covenant, right? Um, we read in Scripture that circumcision then is referred to as circumcision of the heart. So it's an internal spiritual reality. It's accomplished by the Spirit in faith. You cannot circumcise your own heart. Uh, this is something that the Spirit does a work in you. And so this emphasis starts to shift from uh, I, I mark myself with a sign of obedience and surrender unto the Lord uh, to the Spirit has done a work in me, in my heart, uh, which then transforms my life. And so my behavior is changed, but it starts with my heart. Romans two twenty-eight through 29 says, For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. And so as you move into the New Testament, and you start to see these promises, and they start to kind of reframe these promises and say Israel, and they start to say uh, the church, or they start to say uh, the children of Abraham, and kind of the true children of Abraham, uh, those who are marked by circumcision, those who are marked by circumcision of the heart. And so you see this shift from Old Covenant to New Covenant, for those who are in Christ and how these things mark our lives um, as the Spirit works in us. Uh, again, a very stark shift from a required act to an internal transformation. Uh, both signal a, a form of surrender and obedience, right? Uh, but one is an act that we do and one is an act the Spirit does in us. And then the next week was a covenant with Israel. Um, through interaction with Moses as the representative of Israel. The emphasis on this covenant was being set apart in obedience. As God was saying, I want to set apart a people for me that is different, markedly different from the people of the earth, the other peoples of the earth. And so the law was given, right? And there was a lot of laws. Like we got the 10 big ones, the 10 commandments. But there was a lot, a lot, a lot of laws. Very minute and detailed type things. And what God was doing, again, was kind of separating us himself, a people, apart from the other people, so that they were very distinct from those around them, dedicating their lives to the Lord uh, in obedience, but through, again, behavior. He was setting apart himself a nation, right? There was much, very much a nationalistic identity with the people of God through the Mosaic Covenant, distinct from the other nations of the world. But in the New Covenant... 
we see this idea reworked because the people of God are no longer limited to a physical earthly nation. The racial, political, the national lines, they're erased in that anyone can be a part of God's people and not by obedience but by faith. Because we go from Israel being referred to as God's firstborn in Exodus 4 to Jesus being referred to as the Son of God in the New Testament. So all who trust by faith in Jesus are referred to as children of God. And so just as I mentioned earlier, the true children of Abraham or the children of God. So this family of God now comes by faith in Christ rather than being set apart by following the laws of the nation of Israel. And it's in this new covenant framework the church is the restored Israel. So as I mentioned earlier, we look and see how, does, uh, how do we, who are not Jewish by race, inherit or receive the promises made to Israel through the New Testament, we see, I believe, that the church is kind of a restored Israel, a restored people of God by faith in Christ, and so we inherit the, inherit the promises made to them. That's why Jews and Gentiles in the body of Christ can receive the promises made to Israel, because both are children of Abraham by faith, not by blood. And as Moses was given the law and tablets, the new covenant promises the law written on our hearts. And now the obedience that we could not express on our own, we are able to complete by the Spirit of God in us. This marks another stark shift from outward obedience to internal transformation or internal obedience that comes from the heart. Scripture also tells us that the ability to obey and the desire to obey come from the Spirit of God, not from within ourselves. Uh, the Spirit is at work both to will God's, uh, God's work um, and to do God's work. So apart from Christ, we don't have the ability to, to please the Lord in, truly in righteousness, right? Uh, we can follow the laws, the Ten Commandments, uh, but if we're not born again, we're not doing those things uh, in, the, in the righteousness by faith um, to please the Lord. And then we came to the covenant with David most recently. Concerning an everlasting kingdom, an everlasting ruler who will sit on the throne forever, forever, forever. The new covenant promises a new David who will sit on the throne for all eternity. And not just a king, but a king who is a priest. And there is not a divided kingdom in the new covenant, but a united people who are one in Jesus. So as we read in Jeremiah 31, that it's a covenant or promise to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Uh, it's not the house of Israel with their king, the house of Judah with their king. It's a promise for the house of Israel, the house of Judah, and everybody else together with one king, one family. We're united uh, people who are one in Jesus. So Jesus then, in the line of David, fulfills the promises that, hey, there will be a king of your line, David, who will sit on the throne forever, right? Um, a, a root or a branch of, of David to fulfill these things the priest king and Lord over all. He's the priest king who will reign forever over new creation, fulfilling God's promises of an everlasting king and a land and blessing to all. So again, fulfilling the Abrahamic promises, fulfilling the Davidic promises. How then do we partner with God in this new covenant? Or how do we enter into it from our end? I already said that it's not by being set apart through obedience or circumcision, right? We said it's different. 
Um, if Abraham, the sign of the covenant with Abraham was circumcision, or the sign of um, the covenant with Moses was obedience and the Ten Commandments, uh, the new covenant is different. And we've spoiled this answer throughout the series, even today already we've talked about it, that it's Jesus, right? It's faith in Jesus. And this may not sound uh, revolutionary, because we talk about this all the time, um, as, as kind of new covenant people anyway. But consider the who in all the previous covenants as God is setting apart for himself a people and how he's very specific in going through lineage, right? It's very specific genealogically, I believe that's a word, to say this is the family, this is the bloodline with whom he is interacting and with whom he is promising things and who is going to also keep their end of the covenant. And so for it to expand beyond the bloodlines of the Jewish people, outside of the nation of Israel, outside of the bloodline of Abraham, it's a really big deal, right? Because the who used to be a very specific limited number of people. But it was always God on one side, his people on the other, but it was always offspring of Abraham by blood. So this reconciling work of Jesus not only reconciles sinners, whether Jew or Gentiles, to God. So this is a new, amazing truth that really plays out in the New Testament a lot. This message of, hey, the gospel is not just for the Jews, but also for the Gentiles. We read about a tree that grows from branches being grafted together. And again, it's not the Jewish tree with a Greek branch. It is a Jewish and Greek tree, Gentile tree together, right? There's a oneness there. So we're not just reconciled to God, but we're reconciled to each other by faith. We are family, right? We're one family. We're one body with Christ as the head. In the previous covenants, one could be in covenant with God and not be born again or regenerated. It was through obedience, through signs, physical things to do. But the new covenant stipulates that all who are part of the new covenant are born again. There is, one, uh, there is no one in the new covenant who does not know the Lord. We read this in Jeremiah 31, 34. When it says, No longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. Anyone who is in this covenant, who is in covenant relationship, the new covenant relationship with God, knows the Lord. Their iniquity is forgiven, and their sin is remembered no more. And so, uh, this amazing truth that we're reconciled to a holy God, which is good enough on its own, and amazing, and worthy to be celebrated, and yet also reconciled to each other, that there's no more division between us, right, as we would read in Galatians, that all these things that separate us and divide us are done away with in Christ, that we're one in Him. The call to worship also in Jeremiah said, that we, um, from the least to the greatest, right? Uh, from the least to the greatest. And this isn't signaling universalism in the sense that, hey, everyone's going to end up in part of the new covenant and everyone's going to be saved. Um, we know in, in the, again, the full counsel of Scripture with the rest of what the Bible says, not everyone will be saved. And so what it's saying here is from the least to the greatest, it's saying that we're all who are saved, saved in the same way. We're all saved by faith. And we're all saved to the same things. So from the least to the greatest, and no matter your race, your gender, your net worth, your past baggage, your hurts, your occupation, your nationality, etc., 
You enter the new covenant by faith in Jesus, and you receive the full inheritance therein. Namely, your sins are forgiven, and you're reconciled to God for all eternity. We are co-heirs with Christ. This is a new covenant promise. And this is a new covenant that has been promised as better than the previous covenants. And this is a huge reason why it's better than the old covenants, right? Our sins are forgiven forever in Christ. There's a passage in Hebrews. I have one of them here. The other one i got to look up. So I'm going to try to turn to it and see if I have it here quickly. So Hebrews 8, this is a little bit before what we read earlier. It says, but as, this is uh, chapter 8, verse 6. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. And so we see, um, as we point to Jesus as the new covenant and the fulfillment of the new covenant and the fulfillment of the previous covenants, it's not like it was in the Old Testament where we thought, okay, yeah, there was another covenant and then there's another one coming, right? Um, we didn't know there was another one coming, but we look back and say, okay, yeah, he had a covenant with Adam, kind of. He had a covenant with Noah, covenant with Abraham, covenant with Moses, covenant with David. Um, and so the covenant with Jesus, just another covenant in the line of covenants. That's not the case. And that's one of the major things we celebrate as we close out the series today, right? Is that the previous covenants didn't work, and it wasn't God's fault they didn't work, right? He kept his end of the bargain. He was faithful every time. Man is the one who failed every time in sin and in disobedience. But when it comes to Jesus and this new covenant, this is the last covenant. This is the forever covenant. Hebrews 10.14 says, For by a single offering, he, Jesus, has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. In the previous covenants, when it came to sin and forgiveness and atonement, uh, there were sacrifices, there were offerings, and they had to be repeated. It wasn't like you could go and just make your, your sin offering or your atonement, your atoning sacrifice, and, and that was it forever. You would have to come back and do that again. This reminder, again, that like, oh, yes, I'm still... I'm still a sinner, right? And God is still uh, holy and, and other, and I'm not in uh, fellowship with him. My sin separates me from him. This constant reminder. Um, and we read a, a other, um, another place in Hebrews where it says that the blood of bulls and goats was not sufficient. It didn't satisfy the Lord. And so when Christ comes and he is this one for time for all time sacrifice, his blood is sufficient to atone for our sins. And so this new covenant, again, which covers all of our sins sufficiently, Christ's blood covers all of our sins sufficiently, it's extended to everyone. So the basis of forgiveness, again, is not our sacrifices or our offerings, but Christ's one time for all time sacrifice. We say, okay, if, if everybody's covered, Jew, Gentile, there's no third option, okay? So all the recipients are covered. No other promise needs to be made. The, uh, the, the sacrifice made for sins poured out, Jesus' blood poured out, was sufficient to cover sins. And so there's no other sacrifice that needs to be made. So there's no one else who needs to be promised forgiveness. That's us. We're all included. 
And there's nothing else that needs to be done to offer forgiveness. That's all done too. This is the final covenant, right? That in Christ, we can be forgiven of our sins. Our sins are remembered no more. And it's by faith in Christ's finished and sufficient work. There will be no failure to keep covenant on God's part. There has no been failure to keep his part before. And there is no failure to keep us in covenant on the Spirit's part. I mentioned earlier that we were sealed, right? That it's forever. We're sealed by the Holy Spirit in Christ for all eternity. So we can't mess this one up, right? We don't need another covenant. The new covenant is the final covenant. And all the promises we've looked at through the last several weeks that were made to God's people have been or are being fulfilled in Christ or have been fulfilled in Christ. And so we enter into those promises. We enter those promises by faith in Christ, not by works. And we have that offered to us by a loving God who, I was going to hold this up to indicate time, but think about how old the scripture is, how old the promises to people are made from Genesis onward, how long God has been patient and faithful with people, and how quickly we are to sin and turn away from him. I mentioned earlier in the series, like, oh, in the next chapter, Noah sinned, right? It was that quick to turn away from the Lord. And think about your own life. Think about your own day. How you might start, I'm with you, Lord, right? And how long it takes you to give into some kind of temptation, to give into some kind of sin, some kind of disobedience. And that's just in one day. Now think about how many days, weeks, months, years, millennia, right, that God has been looking down on humanity and the sins that have piled up, the disobedience that has piled up, and yet his heart is still toward us, offering forgiveness and grace and mercy in the person of Christ. And it's by faith. Thank the Lord. It's by faith. Because we could not seal ourselves in that promise. Let's pray. God, I think uh, my prayer right now is just that um, as you've just impressed upon me, I believe that you would continue to impress upon us your heart towards us. Your heart towards sinners in need of saving. We often, Lord, see your grace or, or, or the power of the cross, the power of Christ, too small. We, we should see our sin as big and great and offensive, but God, if, if we see it as too big, too great, too offensive for you to forgive, uh, then we have too small a view of you. And so, Lord, I pray this morning that you would increase our view, that you would magnify yourself in our hearts and minds. That we would have a realistic perception of our sin, our disobedience, yes, and that it is great, it is offensive, it is not what you have intended for us, and yet your heart towards us, your grace is greater. Lord, 
Lord, your word tells us that your kindness leads us to repentance. So impress upon us, Lord, your kindness towards us. Your grace towards sin. That you would forgive it to such an extent that your promise, your new covenant says that you would remember it no more. That in Christ you look at us and see his righteousness, the perfect and holy one. We're so grateful, Lord. We're so thankful that you would consider us righteous by faith. So grateful, Lord, that you did not... Uh, promise us something that is contingent upon our works, our efforts, our ability to do good because we are incapable. So thank you, God, for sending Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for allowing us to, to finally obey the Lord, something we could not do apart from Christ. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for, for allowing us to desire to do the will of the Lord, to want to please him, to want to live for him. May that voice, may that uh, direction, may that guidance and conviction speak louder than our flesh and the ways of the world. God, impress upon us those who are outside of the family of God. We've been given this great truth, this great promise, this great uh, grace to extend to others. And so, God, I pray that we would be sharing, inviting, loving others into the family of God, into the kingdom of God. That our church, our community, our schools, our, our workplaces would look more like the kingdom of God because of the Spirit working in us and through us. We thank you for your faithfulness, Lord always faithful, always true. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.